HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different topic within the Asian American identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat. Most of us in the world live in urban areas, and so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents, and how much more could it provide if um, we just made a priority? Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I know it's been quite a summer, but today we're back and happy to talk cheese again. Um, I know I enjoyed some halloumi over the break, and I can't believe the fall season is upon us. School is kind of back in session. Retail stars are trying new strategies. And here at CTC, we're inviting another person to join the team as Alina and Aaron have put down their mics for the meantime. Uh, with Without further ado, I would like to introduce Carlos Yescas. Um, he is currently the program director of Old Ways Cheese Coalition and now a future collaborator host of this upcoming fall season of Cutting the Curd. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kara. I'm very happy to be here with you. Um, I think this is like the greatest thing since uh, sliced cheese, let's say, um, <laughs> because <laughs> I really believe you're going to bring a, another viewpoint another angle to cutting the curd that hasn't been done yet um, um, because of your academic background, because of your almost professorship of cheese. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the content you're going to deliver for us um, just to sort of uh, get the audience in tune with us. Uh, do you mind giving us a, a, a bio about yourself, a little introduction from, from your uh, line? Sure, sure. And thank you for that introduction. That's really kind. Um, so I've been working in cheese for about 15 years now and not 
totally full time at the beginning, but um, but uh, pretty close to to that for the past uh, six years. Uh, at the moment, I'm the director of the All the Way Cheese Coalition, as you said, and we put a big celebration for raw milk cheeses that is coming up, and we do other programming to sort of advocate for producers, but also educate consumers about uh, traditional and raw milk cheeses. Um, on top of that, I own a small cheese distribution company in Mexico uh, that is run by my sister and my sister-in-law, and they sell, buy, sell, and distribute um, Mexican artisanal cheeses, and I help a little bit with that. Um, and then I also um, have a, a small consultancy company uh, that helps Latin American cheese producers sort of better their their offering. So that's kind of like you know everything that it's that is done. I lo- still love cheese, even though I work all the time on it, and so I still find the time to you know just sit down and enjoy a, a piece of cheese or you know cook with cheese. Um, I'm I'm really never tired of it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you you're looking at it. All the time. You're like me. You're obsessed with cheese. Um, so what was your first job in cheese, actually? Um, like, was it a cheesemonger gig or was it was it always like um, like a diplomatic academic nature? No, my very, very first job in cheese was as a cheesemonger. I, um, I went to study uh, law, uh, a master's in law in Ireland in Galway and you know I needed a job uh, because I was a student and I found a job at Sheridan's Cheesemongers and so I started um, you know first doing dishes and cleaning the store and then I was uh, recruited to be a cheesemonger and eventually I ended up being um, the person in the market store Um, so on the weekends uh, on top of the store they also had a sort of farmer's market and I was holding on the stall uh, uh, there and that was really fun you know being a cheesemonger in a store is fun because you have regulars but then when you are outside in the farmer's market it's a completely different experience because you're you know you're the cheese person but there's also a fish person and there's also the vegetables people and so you develop a community of food people that um you are excited to see once a, once a week so yeah I, I i was a cheesemonger at some point and you know like i said to a, to a bunch of people i i wish that i was still behind a counter some days um and and because I do miss sort of the interaction with people and sort of handling cheese every day and you know really having sort of physical part of the of the cheesemonger. Of course, it takes a toll on your body, but um, mm-hmm. but it's something that I miss. Yeah, there's sort of a fulfillment uh, factor there that's really nice. Um, so when you were growing up, did your mother or father uh, cook with cheese? Was it in your family, or was it something that you discovered once you became a cheesemonger? Well, definitely, I grew up eating cheese, and um, I I love it. And what is interesting about it is that you know I'm out of a very specific generation in Mexico. Um, you know, for for those people listening that are about my age, um, you know, uh, it was only until I was um, in in high school that NAFTA came into place in Mexico and the United States. And the trade agreement really changed the lives uh, of of Mexicans, and and particularly in sort of the foods that we had. You know, at the beginning or you know before that, we only had the sort of national brands, and we only had things that were very local. And when trade uh, 
uh, really started happening with the United States and, you know, then the opening started happening with other countries, uh, things started to show up uh, in, in bigger volumes and also in lower prices. And so then I remember that, you know, my mom will, you know, go to the, go to the store and, you know, the supermarket and I'll go with her and as a reward for having good grades or, you know, doing well in school, I will get a piece of uh, Emmental cheese uh, as, a, as a prize. Uh, and so I, that was the sort of first moment that I had a sort of sensibility that it was different, that cheese was not only the cheeses of Mexico, but there were all the cheeses outside of the, of Mexico that were also delicious. And so sort of from that moment on, I sort of fell in love with the idea of, um, you know, the sort of the diversity of cheese. And of course, you know, Emmental is such a iconic cheese that you see the big holes. And so it is, it has kind of a very romantic view uh, because the way it is. That's that's excellent. I um I didn't take you as an Emmentaler man, but now I know your secret that you <laughs> that you love Emmentaler. Um, so <laughs> um, sort of a segue then, um, because you're in the distribution of cheese now in Mexico with lactography. Um, I was curious: is the distribution of cheese in Mexico challenging? Um, you know, what kinds of cheese sell the best there now? Or it, like you said, it, it it seems like it was traditional for a while and now there is a wider selection. So I'm curious, what is it like with the distribution in Mexico now? Right, and so, you know, here is uh, one of those things that I think often about how politics and uh, economic development have really impacted cheese and which is, you know, one of the things that I would like to bring uh, in my, in the conversations that I'm going to be having in this season of the show of how sort of the everyday politics end up impacting the cheese that we have. And, in, and Mexico is a good example of that. Um, in Mexico, most of the cheese uh, still is sort of consolidated in these big marketplaces um, that uh, people that are sort of familiar with the French style of Rungi, you know, that all the French cheeses arrive to one place and then they're all exported out of there. Um, that's kind of the same thing in Mexico. So every All the food comes to Mexico City um, to one central location and then there is where the merchants are that sort of distribute out. Um, that is still the case for a lot of the, the Mexican cheeses. Uh, that come from all of the states around Mexico City, and then they are distributed out from there to be sold. Uh, for for international cheeses, there's you know distribution centers that sort of act the same, both in Mexico City, but also in in, in the ports where uh, the the boats kind of arrive from Europe. And so the distribution is is very interesting because you know it arrives all in this one central location, and then there's buyers there, and then all that cheese kind of goes out into the world and it gets delivered uh, by trucks or you know specifically to companies. But there's a lot of sort of hands that not necessarily touch the cheese because you know the cheese is is packed and everything, but a lot yeah. of points of contact, right? And there is a lot of um, opportunity for things to happen, right? And and those things could be good and those things could be bad. So, you know, sometimes our wheel of Parmigiano gets lost uh, from the from the delivery and no one knows where it went and, or some other times. <laughs> that sounds uh, like New Jersey as well, by the way. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's that kind of feeling of, 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 uh, of a system that 
if you're not in the cheese or the food industry, you you think it's very straightforward that you know food gets produced and then it gets delivered to the store, and that's really not the reality. Um, and then you know the other fun thing about about Mexico is that maybe like seven or eight years ago, um, food and gastronomy really started changing. And people started having a more of an appreciation of what Mexican food was and Mexican ingredients were. So as opposed to before that people will look for, you know, something that was Spanish or French in terms of their cheese, people are really now looking for something that is uh, locally produced. And, and so there's a resurgence of Mexican cheeses that had been not lost, but not produced as much. And then producers in Mexico making sort of international style cheeses that are now making it in Mexico. And, you know, when you start doing that, those cheeses sort of change. Um, so there's a little bit of everything. Uh, I, I normally say that the specialty are artisanal cheese business in Mexico is about 20 years behind uh, the United States, not in terms of quality, but in terms of development. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we still don't have a lot of cheesemongers in every city. We don't have um, big and small distributors. You know, there, there's a lot of things that um, have space to grow. I see. And then I guess jumping back into the U.S., because you have a lot of work that you're doing here in the U.S. as well, um, with Old Ways Cheese Coalition, um, you're promoting traditional cheeses here in the U.S. But currently, a lot of the current trend is local artisan American. So do you think some cheese lovers forget about the old traditional cheeses, maybe lose sight of the history? Um, how do you combat, or do you think that's not happening? Uh, yeah. See, I... So, it, you know, everything... COVID changed everything, right? And, and I think one of the interesting things is that there is really a focus uh, right now on sort of traditionally made uh, American cheeses. But these American cheeses that we're talking about uh, or that people are really interested in right now are kind of a new generation of cheese because there was an original uh, generation of American cheeses and you know they were called the American originals, something like a Teleme or Brick, or mm-hmm. um, uh, Colby and Colby. Uh, Mont- I think it's uh, yeah. There's a few I know in the ACS we have a few categories for them: the Jack cheese, Pepper Jack cheese, maybe. Um, Correct. Yeah, and so all of those cheeses have kind of disappeared. You know, like Teleme has completely disappeared. There's maybe one or two producers of Dry Jack, um, and and that's really sad because those cheeses were sort of part of a culture that existed and now has been sort of lost. And when you lose a cheese, not you're not only losing that cheese, but you're losing sort of the producer that makes it, the cows uh, or you know whatever other animal. Uh, was being utilized to make that, the pastures that they were fed, but also sort of the culture around it, right? If, if let's say, a dry jack was normally eaten, shaved on top of an apple uh, pie, you are also losing that sort of um, tradition of gastronomy. And, and that is really bad because when you lose that sort of gastronomy um, ideals, you are losing a lot of sort of ecosystem, but also cultural values. Uh, and and so I think there's good that there's a focus right now on on, on these new American cheeses. I hope that this is a moment that people will become more aware, and that will then in turn incentivize what um, what 
I think it's happening in other places, which people will go, try to go back and be like, let's try to rescue, you know, Teleme or Dryjack. So it will benefit in that way. Um, so that's what what the coalition is trying to do, is trying to sort of keep a, an eye on, on the cheeses that are disappearing, on the on the things that are not not going to be uh, in production for very long and sort of pointing out that, you know, we cannot lose those cheeses because we lose a lot of other things. Uh, and, and that's part of our, our work. Um, hmm. I, di- I didn't realize it was about preserving um, those American recipes. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. Um, it's very interesting. Um, okay. I, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to return and talk about Uh, a little bit about raw milk and uh, your future on cutting the curd. So, okay, listeners, uh, I'm here with Carlos Yescas, and we'll be right back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conte within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conte. Conte takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. Today, our guest is Carlos Yescas, and he is the future collaborative host for this fall season. Um, Carlos, I am looking forward to, now you hinted to me, your upcoming episode is going to be on raw milk. Uh, what can you uh, kind of give us a preview to about that? Definitely. I th- the, the show is so fun to, to put together and to produce. And you know, I've been talking to a lot of people and, and I hope to really bring a uh, different perspective. And so for this uh, episode, um, there's going to be two episodes uh, on this topic. And so one of it is going to really concentrate on trying to understand what is raw milk cheese. Um, I think there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of things that people think they know. And we don't really understand sort of the entirety. And so I'm going to try to bring in two academics uh, to to um, tell us how to think about it you know, in, in combination. And so 
I think a lot of the times what happens is that we listen to the microbiology and we are like, oh, yeah, that's super important, but we kind of miss the cultural part. Or other people are like, you know, raw milk cheese is all about the flavor and this is the only thing that really matters and we don't consider sort of the technical part. And so I want to sort of break that divide and bring it into to our conversation and here. Um, and then the other idea, not the only idea, but the other thing that we will be going to be doing is kind of like checking what is happening in the world of raw milk cheese. And so we we are going to have guests from around the world telling us what is happening in their location, really, um, you know, sharing with the audience um, about about what's happening, um, you know, in Australia, in Brazil, in Europe, um, you know, to to understand what's uh, raw milk's future. Oh wow! And um, can you are you can you confirm who your guests will be yet, or do you want to save them as a surprise? I think I need to save them as a surprise because okay. I'm still you know, <laughs> no. wrangling them to get them all in, in place for okay. us. To no, talk. <laughs> no, no problem. I think uh, that's great. I'm super looking forward to this. Um, I know everyone's going to be eager to learn more about raw milk cheese, so that's great. Um, I wanted to do. I have a segment. Um, in the show that I like to do, which is what's in your fridge. So I thought, Carlos, what's in your fridge? Uh, what kind of cheese or pairing cookie thing do you have? Uh, or are you pickling something? You know, what's, what's going on in there? Definitely. I, I, um, so we took finally a small trip outside of our bubble and we went to Vermont uh, for, for the day and came back uh, to visit the caves, the new caves I grafted uh, village cheese. And so I had um, a chance to bring back some uh, of their cheeses. And the one that I'm loving right now is Queen of Quality. So this is a um, cheddar style or cheddar cheese made with Jersey milk. And so uh, Queen of Quality, they're only Jersey cows and they make gorgeous uh, milk that then they give to Grafton to make their cheese and uh, and it's just delicious and if people go to my Instagram they'll be able to see the a picture there of, of the cheese um, and on on top of that you know I really really like those uh, Effie's oat cakes and so I always have them around <laughs> well well done well that's a good pairing I mean I saw the picture on Instagram it's it's beautiful um, the way the cheddaring curds look in that shot, the way they're they're solidified together. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and the color is just—I didn't put any filter. It was—it's just like a, that was without a filter. Oh my god! Yeah, goodness. no, that was just my phone. You know, picture. Awesome! It's like a beautiful golden yellow that they're that they were able to get at Grafton. I uh, really bravo to them. And is it a bandage wrap cheese by any? Is it cloth bond? I mean, it is a cloth bond. That's what I thought. It—that's great. I'm gonna have to find it somewhere um, in the New York area. <laughs> um, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, so I wanted to it kind of float around back into your history of cheese life just and ask you, what are you most proud of in your lengthy career of cheese? What what stands out to you as a, a momentous moment? Oof, that's a wonderful question. Um, I think that, you know, we are in, in these... I would say battle every day uh, on on sort of advocating for raw milk cheese, but also for denominations of origin and and for the protection of a cultural heritage. And, and 
you know, is, is, is maybe going to sound, sound weird, but we help a ton uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, just a little bit of background. The state of Pennsylvania used to have a uh, regulation for Roanoke cheese that sort of predated the FDA regulation. Um, and so that prevented cheesemakers in Pennsylvania for making some styles of cheese with raw milk. And so we um, joined with the Pennsylvania Cheese Guild and uh, Professor Collegian at the University uh, of Pennsylvania to push the Agricultural Department of Pennsylvania to harmonize their law with the FDA. And so uh, we were able to do that last year, and and you know all the all all the work was done in Pennsylvania. We just provided you know technical information and letters of support, and you know sort of a bit of a strategy on how to do that. But that's a big deal because it meant that now it means that producers in Pennsylvania can make cheese of more styles that before they were not able to. And this is a big deal for me because Pennsylvania, most people don't know this, but it's the biggest producer of raw milk cheese. And the reason for it is that the um, Amish community there, uh, because of their restrictions on um, technology, don't uh, normally pasteurize their milk, don't normally uh, use uh, pasteurizers. So they produce a lot of uh, raw milk cheeses. So this really uh, allows those producers that are, you know, the the sort of smallest of the small to have more opportunities to make more different types of cheeses and, you know, sort of conserve uh, the quality of their milk um, in, in a cheese that is really delicious. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So before... Just to kind of reiterate this, before they were being, they were not allowed to sell their raw milk cheeses. It could only be eaten within the families, the Amish community. Is that what was that the case, or if it, it had was, to be pasteurized? It, so some of it had, some of the cheeses could not even be made. Right, oh, they wow. could only uh, make them and you know eat them with their families, uh, and then some. And so that discouraged people from making cheese. And then the, the change in law allows them to do more styles. So if they wanted to do a Gouda style or if they want to make a uh, sort of smaller tone format, uh, you know, still within the 60 days that need to be aged, but more different types. And so this opens sort of the opportunity for small producers to, to have two or three different cheeses um, that will be able to age for longer or have different flavor profiles and, you know, benefit economically from, from the sale of those cheeses. Wow, that's fantastic. And um, so then would Old Ways or the coalition, would they connect, um, I don't know if it gets in, so involved into the business, would you connect these Amish cheesemakers to, say, distributors that are local in the region? Or is that just, that's another, they, everyone works independently at that point? So we don't look so much at the, uh, the sort of economic parts, but um, we we did help with some of it and in in a little bit of matchmaking. Uh, and so there's a company called Rebuttal in um, Pennsylvania that has a line of cheeses made with by the by the Amish community uh, that are made with raw milk. And and you know th- that was part of it was part of this, uh, but it also ended up uh, benefiting other producers that are uh, well-known in, in the industry, like Bridge Run uh, Farms, uh, you know, 
can also now make uh, more styles, uh, not only their blue cheese, which is amazing, but other types of blue cheese uh, and other types of raw milk cheeses. Uh, and so it is really end up um, benefiting a lot of producers in, in Pennsylvania that wanted to make raw milk cheese. And you know, they were making, they have good quality milk. They were aging 60 days. And so there was no reason for them to not be able to do it. That's really cool. I'm I'm really looking forward to trying these cheeses. Um, I might I might hit you up on the side to find out a connection for that as well. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, anything uh, new raw milk like that, I, you know, I'm always interested in how things are evolving now and and what new cheeses are coming along. So um, definitely, or and traditional you know, ones. for everyone on, on on listening to us. You know, the, the website, I will put it on the notes of the show. Uh, that's the website for the company, and you can buy them online with them. Uh, and, you know, it is uh, very easy. It's very easy to now find uh, good raw milk cheeses uh, from a lot of locations and, and, you know, really now start paying attention to who is making um, raw milk and cheese and who is you know thermalizing their cheese and you know is making unpasteurized cheese and then who's pasteurizing their cheese oh man perfect um well carlos i am i'm looking forward to the season i i you know welcome to the cutting the curd fam um i just know your content is going to be awesome and fabulous um so i'm really looking forward to it um Listeners, keep your ears out for this new podcast with Carlos Yescas. Um, you can follow Carlos. Carlos is it on Instagram at Carlos Yescas. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah. <laughs> is, is there any other uh, social media plugs that you'd like to make? Sure. Please follow the coalition at Always Cheese. And if you also want to learn more about uh, what we do in Mexico, follow Lactography um, on on all social media networks. Uh, I I very much happy to to join the conversation and please 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 everyone let's celebrate raw milk cheese appreciation day on october 17 and you know uh make sure that you know those cheesemakers that are taking the time and uh, and putting all their love to make raw milk cheeses know that we love their cheeses so the best thing to do that day and, and for that week is you know talk about raw milk cheese with everyone buy it eat it you know, this is a moment to help uh, small producers that are making raw milk cheese, no matter where they are. Perfect. Okay. Thank you again for being on the show. Listeners, you can follow us at Cutting the Curd. You can follow me at Kara Warren and uh, eat more cheese. See you around soon. Thanks, everyone. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.